In the name of Allah, most gracious, ever merciful. Welcome. Good morning. Assalamu alaikum. And may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all from Thursday morning breakfast show with myself. After a long time. Yes. Kayum and joining me is my compadre, my brother. <laughs> Good morning. Adios, brother. Adios. Hello. How are you? Assalamu alaikum. Peace be on you. Yes. Brother Khalid Bruno, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to to have you here yeah, with I'll, your with your contagious laughter, uh, brother. Yes, I, I, I try to contain it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, how are you this? How are you doing this fine morning? It's a lovely morning. It's a it's it's a it's dry. It's dry. <laughs> yeah. Let's see for how long. Huh? It's it's yeah. dry. Yeah. It's not raining. Yes. Uh, that's a. Uh, that's a good sign yes. of things to come. Today yes. is uh, we are on the, the the I suppose the in the morning of the eve of yes the 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 long awaited yes. uh, national or even international Amdia Muslim conference very being much hosted so. by United Kingdom. Yes, where fifty thousand plus brothers and sisters from around the world and guests from around the world are going to be gathering today. In the in in the gardens of the Messiah, Hadikat yes. al in Hampshire, in in, in Alton. Yes, and uh, and uh, you know it's been what four years since a proper Feels open, like a, yes. uh, 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 you know, restriction-free gathering. Exactly, uh, um, has is is going to be happening from tomorrow until Sunday. Mm-hmm. Three three blessed days. Three days. Fully packed of yep. so many events, so many exhibitions, so many speeches. It's, it's amazing. It is. It yeah. is. His Holiness, we will be listening to the sermon of His Holiness on Friday sermon. It will be followed with an opening speech. Saturday, there will be the reports that he gives. Mm. Um, it will be the address that the sermon he gives, the delivers to the, to the ladies, the Women's Auxiliary Association. Yes. On Sunday, there will be the the the... the uh, the final sermon, the closing ceremony. Yes. So, you know, so many and and plus so many dignitaries from around the world. Exactly. I think you know it's such a unifying event, and you know what's so amazing is that uh, for people, those people who are not aware, um, it's 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 the setup and the work, and like we were just discussing this oh. offline, the amount of work that goes into preparation of this massive event. Mm. Uh, is done by so many volunteers, all volunteers, you know, all the angels descending upon this uh, garden of the Messiah, peace be upon him, as you said, preparing uh, electricity lines, pipelines, sewer works, uh, kitchens, everything. There's so, like all the, all the, uh, tele- you know, telecoms, all those things. It's, it's, it's going to be crazy. But it's it's like you said something we've been looking for forward to, and for me one of the things that I I look forward to is see my family who come over from Mauritius. It's a family get together for you. <laughs> it is as well. <laughs> yeah, like you said, with all our brothers and sisters, That's right? right? <laughs> all the way from Mauritius, but Mauritius mm. isn't, isn't the only country, is it? No. You know, the Amni Muslim community is in uh, two hundred and thirteen is spread over two hundred and thirteen countries and free territories around the world, and and. People from all walks of life, right? People from all these different nations will be will be you know heading towards this this small ish mm. yes farmland yes which 
I would say what uh, you know, twenty odd days ago, yes. was just <laughs> a simple farm. Yes, um, you know, with a few people mm. coming in and going out, and within twenty eight days, it's it's transformed into this miniature city. Yes, hosting. Um, people who will be hosting people mm. up to 50,000, managing the traffic yes. in this small village, managing people. There will be volunteers. There's thousands of people, again, from all walks of life, from rich, poor, middle yeah. class, from yeah. people who are, yeah. you know, white, black, brown, yellow, pink, you name the color. All the we colors will be there. Purple. You know, it, yeah. it's it's funny. Mm. Um, uh, I, I was listening to you know we have these these fillers on um, right. on the on the radio yes. and, and uh, we always quote the Holy Prophet may peace and blessings mm-hmm. of Allah be upon him that yes. no uh, no white man is greater than a black man and no black man is greater than a white man mm-hmm. and no Arab is greater than a non-Arab and yes. no non-Arab is greater than a, than an Arab and mm-hmm. then and then it goes on about how the way th- th- your status is defined is yes. is your attributes your character. Yes. Yeah, and your righteousness, yes, yes, oh, exactly, is, is is what determines your status within this world and the eyes of God Almighty. Yes, and and I, and and then I look at Jalsa and I look at the annual gathering yes. and I think we are with, within the community. We demonstrate that by living it, hundred percent. Because when you look yes. at how the the annual convention is set up, how it is. All these volunteers mm. from again, I say all walks of life. People who have volunteered from Holland, from Africa, from Mauritius, mm. from Australia, from USA, from the furthest corners of the earth, have come together, definitely, uh, to to listen to His Holiness, to meet His Holiness. One of the busiest three days mm. of His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Musulam, the fifth Caliph of the Promised Messiah, may Allah strengthen his hand. Mm. His his normal one day on is 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 packed anyway. Definitely, it's packed anyway. Yes, his normal one day is like our ten days or probably twenty days <laughs> yes. in one day. That's right. But his 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 day on on the annual convention where he meets people on a personally. Yes, his his you know that's all he will be doing: meeting people, addressing people, preparing his sermons, coming in and and. You know, and and making people feel welcome. Mm. If correct me if I'm wrong, uh, brother Kuyum, but for us, he has the status of of what would you say, the equivalent to the Pope, right? What would you say? Would you say that's an accurate estimate? Um, but, in a matter of speaking, this, speaking yeah, yeah. He's, yeah you know, he, the Pope is the head of the. the yes, you know, because he, I wanted to give a comparison for people who just um, who, who might not be aware. They, <clears throat> he he might have, you know, for us, you know, a very very high status. But like you were saying, he still ha- takes the time out to meet so many people, so many dignitaries, and not just dignitaries and heads of states. He's meeting you know the, everyone, mm. everyone, you, me, everyone, you know, from the top down, all, people from all walks of life. You can write to him mm. personally, and you will get a response. Yes. You know, he he responds to to letters, to emails. To, to faxes, even, yes, yes, faxes still exist. Still People exist. do Houston. <laughs> um, yes. so, so, you know, today is the, um, the morning of, of the eve yes. of, of uh, <laughs> the, the, the long-awaited uh, United Kingdom annual gathering yes. of the Amdiya Muslim community. Um, if you're a listener and if you are curious, because curiosity, these kind of things do, uh, you know, makes one curious about yes. what's going on. Um, it is not just for Ahmadi Muslims. 
this event is for anyone and everyone who wants to attend and is interested definitely in in experiencing the spiritual environment yes. that will be created over the next 3 days cuz this isn't a f- one thing a, mm. a lot of sometimes a lot of people try to describe it as mm. a festival yeah it's right. not a festival uh, so far i, I, I see mm. why people try to explain it yes. as a festival yes. it's not this is a spiritual gathering 100% yes this is a gathering of people who will create an environment mm. they create that atmosphere look atmospheres and environments are created mm. and this the environment that's created here is with prayers with love with brotherhood and sisterhood that is shown yes. by members of of the community and that mm. in in leads to the same kind of character and behavior displayed to everyone irrespective of which faith you belong to which nationality you belong to um and if you want to experience it then i'm sure if you were to get in touch with uh, you know with us 0208 687 7878 um i'm sure something can be arranged where um if if you wish to attend um guests yes. do do come through yes. if they if they come through the uh the 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 relevant um, process there is a process of of hosting guests exactly um and and i'm sure we'll be able to accommodate you yeah and i if you, if if our listeners look um i go to our twitter feed which is um at voiceofislam.co.uk you'll see um sorry at the voice of islam uk you'll see that we have uh, made several short uh, videos and clips uh with regards to this annual convention and you will see um like brother can you mention the ways and the means that you can uh attend this uh, blessed uh, program if you wish to attend uh, and like brother can you mention it's a spiritual gathering and and the atmosphere is just amazing there's so much excitement in the air everyone's anticipating like you said it's been 4 years since we had an international gathering where people have uh, been guests have been coming from abroad in such high numbers and uh, do you know what it reminds me of uh, brother cube when there was a centenary of the community in 1989 and we had our uh, 100 year centenary and we were in in Islamabad in in Tilford in Surrey mm-hmm. in our previous land uh previous uh area where we held the annual conventions for so many years mm-hmm. uh for me this this is the sort of excitement i'm feeling right now you know in this build up to this this uh amazing amazing convention of course you can see uh if you go to our website as well voiceofislam.co.uk you will see more information about that uh but like brother kareem said look if you know if anyone's interested in hearing more information if anyone uh, would like to get involved in today's two topics that we should be discussing um later on please do get involved the number is to ring is 02086877878 so the topics today brother kuyum first one after the news will be um talking about bananas i love bananas so i'll be talking about that <laughs> always have one for breakfast don't love them too much okay i, I don't think i had any, there's any they're going extinct that's the that's the that's the uh, scary part uh, so I'm quite interested in that topic <laughs> the other topic is which is quite close to uh, my heart is uh, about wish cycling so we will be explaining after uh, um, 8:15 uh, right up to the end of the show today which will end uh, around 9 o'clock with the 9 o'clock news the topic we we shall be discussing uh, is wish cycling what is it and how do we overcome it so that's going to be two very important topics that we can discuss today 
Now, moving on, yes. we started off with the weather, and it would be, you know, unpatriotic not to talk of the weather briefly. Oh, yes. What is the weather? So this is important for us, especially we're going on a farmland, so let's see what we have. So today, it was going to be rather cloudy, with patchy outbreaks of rain and drizzle, especially on the west-facing coast and the hills. The conditions will slowly improve from the west with some sunny spells, possibly later, but it will be feeling humid. Uh, tonight, there'll be some clouds uh, with outbreaks of rain slowly clearing the far north and the east of Scotland. Elsewhere, will be often cloudy, perhaps with further outbreaks of light drizzle. The skies will be clearing from the west later. And on Friday, it'll be, uh, there'll be some rain becoming confirmed, uh, which will be coming from the northeast. Elsewhere, be, there'll be low clouds with outbreaks of drizzle, which will soon clear. There will be sunny spells and showers already uh, across the Northern Ireland, which will become more widespread, and some places are staying dry. Now, let's just have a quick look for the uh, uh, weather over the weekend. Outlook, in summary, is there's going to be heavy and perhaps thundery showers likely on Saturday and Sunday. So we have to get our boots ready, right? <laughs> and temperatures will be around average, but warm at times in any sunshine and a new band of organized clan cloud and rain arriving on Monday. So that's the summary of the weather. So it's a British, it's a typical British summer. That's it. <laughs> there you go. So nothing has boots, changed. Boots and brollies out. Boots and brollies out. That's <laughs> it. Um, let's have a quick uh, scan of what's happening in and around the world and what the newspapers are talking about, brother. Yes. What's the what's the what's a quick story that you have uh, looked at in 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 uh, uh, in the papers? Yes, I think the. One that stuck, stand, stood out for me, uh, you know, a lot of the papers uh, covered by most of the papers this morning is that the uh, singer, Sinead O'Connor, has passed away at the age of 56. Uh, she uh, was quite famous for being quite outspoken, but more, more recently she was, uh, you know, she had converted to Islam and people took quite an interest in, you know, why she converted. And I'd seen a few interviews, uh, someone quite recently, about, i say a week ago, two weeks mm -hmm. ago, just her discussing you know, why she had become Muslim and really interesting, you know, she said it was a, a religion where she found herself at peace because she did declare herself a bit of a wild child. Well, she was, she was famous. She was, she was a very famous radical. Yes. Uh, Irish singer. Yes. Um, she did storm um, the music scene um, suddenly at a young age. Yes. But, um, you know, it's, it's sad to hear. Yes. That of, of her, of her passing. Um, but uh, a lot of people, a lot of papers are saying that uh, she wasn't able to handle um, this, the, the death of her son, right. who, who passed away um, some 18 months to nearly two years ago, right. um, who was 17. 17 years ago, uh, yes. But, uh, I could, you know, um, it's it is, it is always sad when Definitely. somebody passes, especially when, when you think young age, um, you know, yes. when uh, we, we pass our condolences Definitely. Uh, to the family. Um, I was looking at... Uh, you know, moving from from you know to, to political scenes. Yes. Today, um, President Putin he's going to be opening the Russia Africa Summit right. in Saint Petersburg, um, where the attendance cast list um, is being scrutinized mm. by Paris, Washington, London, and the headquarters in New York. Oh well. Yes. There you go. Yes. You see. <laughs> Um, and and but the African nations they're viewing the event very differently. Mm. Um, Western foreign ministers are fretting about the Kremlin's declared ambition to expand its political, military, and economic footprint uh, south of the Sahara. 
the gathering is an indicator of how Russia's influence uh, could now extend and where it will meet a very friendly, inc- very, very, very friendly welcome. Yes. Um, you know, unlike the previous Russia-Africa summit in 2019, which was attended by 43 African leaders, this time only 17 are expected um, in St. Petersburg. But which of them will take appointment, speaking roles in the summit? Um, what deals will be struck with Mr. Putin? Um, this is causing a concern in the Western and the European nations mm. because, of course, when we are talking of this Africa summit with the Russia, Russians, in the background, China is there. Yes, China is there, and and everybody knows. In in you know, you can't talk of Africa today and not yes. talk of China. Definitely, um, because you know the 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 trade links that they have been creating over the past few decades. While uh, the you know while us lot, mm. us lot in the West, us Europeans, have been fighting over uh, you know ridiculous. Uh, in fact, we, we've been we've been fighting over how to break up our society, how to implode, Definitely. how to worry about irrelevant things. Yeah, in fact, so. how to talk of dangerous things mm. and how to break down um, our family units and, and our society in what we live in. Very true. The you know the Africa and 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 the Asian countries have been excelling and progressing and moving forward and 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 creating um, harmonious societies. They are putting uh, you know putting rules and regulations and policies in place yes. which protects the family unit and 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 creates harmony in society. Do you know what the thing is? Um, fair juice to them, and, and especially those involved in BRICS as well, the, the, the global currency. It's funny how, you know, certain people when they need, or let's say, let's say this a different way, certain people or certain nations when they need something, they will go to whoever they need to go to. But because, you know, there might be some sort of disagreement or some point of view, everyone they expect everyone to have hold the same point of view. See my. My uh, my my annoyance, I would say, about this whole situation is that, you know, um, what are those nations that are not happy that African nations are taking part in this summit? What are they doing to support these African nations? You know, mm. it's fair enough to say to them, oh, you know, you can't attend this uh, summit with uh, Russia, but what trade links are you doing? What are you doing to improve Russia? They're looking to improve themselves. So. Well, this 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 summit uh, includes economic and humanitarian forums. Thank you. Where yeah. African business figures have been invited, mm. and they have been promised a raft of agreements on trade, investment, scientific research, and technical cooperation. Yes. Access to Russian universities, yes. to an education system. Um, you know, th- there's so much. Yes. Um, that's being put on offer and is being discussed, and and peace is also. Um, in in fact, it's been part and parcel of of this summit, yes. um, because last month uh, Africa's leaders they, they there was a peace mission to Russia, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 both Russia and Ukraine they were bluntly told um, that Mr. Putin and Mr. Zelensky that they were both were told both were told to end the war for the for the sake of the rest of the world. It's, it isn't just about them. People forget, you know that. Um, uh, this isn't uh, as much as again we as a nation, mm. uh, as a, as a continent, we we seem to go to, from one extreme to another. Very, you know, we're yes. instead of keeping a balanced perspective and to look at things in a in a in a more rational way, yes. um, we you know we suddenly decide we're going to take sides. Yes, um, yes. but unfortunately, you mm. know that is never the the, the it, it's always a political maneuvering. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Um, another article that caught my eye 
my eyes or my four eyes is a there'll be extra hospital beds made available for winter as we know uh every winter there's a you know there's a big push and a big demand for hospital beds and especially i think you know you see people that are homeless people that are vulnerable people that are living on the streets uh you know suffering in the cold uh but there's always seems to be a, 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 a demand or high demand around the winter period for uh possible or access to hospital um accident and emergency services so in this article it says that um an extra 5000 hospital beds will be made available available this winter to help the nhs in england to cope health policies say it will mean 100000 permanent beds will be accessible at the busiest time of the year a 5% rise on current levels nhs england is also promising quicker discharge arrangements to get patients out of hospital when they are medically fit to leave this will be achieved through the rollout of what has been dubbed care traffic control centers so i mean i, I the thing is when i ever whenever i hear uh, big uh, numbers uh, figures and promises like that i, I think i what i do uh, is just say let's wait and see let's see what the actual actual you know uh turnout is going to be what the actual you know if these promises are going to be kept interesting mm-hmm. um <clears throat> just before we finish just add on yes to the african summit yes uh, soldiers in in niger have claimed to overthrow the president Mohamed bazoum you know whenever there is a stability mm. across african continent in different yeah. countries i always find it strange that out of the blue there's a coup somewhere mm. or uh, <laughs> th- there are factions suddenly develop yes. and call me a conspiracy theorist right i always think foreign investment foreign tr- foreign intervention intervention yeah because uh, you know it, it, it it's not possible that uh, the western world the developed world or whichever world you want to to to, to point fingers towards um it, they they can't fathom to see a, a continent like africa together um and whenever there is peace whenever there is uh, uh stability mm. um shown in even um, a, a small yes. bit of stability mm. uh, is displayed in any countries i mean niger is a small country suddenly um armies find money weapons uh, new soldiers you know mercenaries um, or they find assistance and training mm. to take over countries or take over power yes and to cause instability like sudan was your perfect example mm. you know sudan is a country which is suffering because of the uh, of of you know it's a proxy war between russia and america but the africans have suffered are suffering but i think and one hopes and prays that uh, such such events um are are you know uh, are stopped uh, or and and the africans who and they are getting stronger mm. um and 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 more yes. unifying yes and uh, one hopes that uh, th- th- these problems are resolved a lot quicker than people anticipate yes good willing that happens definitely we're yeah. going to take a quick break um and uh, go and listen to some messages uh, when we come back we're going to go on to our first segment of the morning which is 
um, making Brother Khalid go bananas. But then that's also because <laughs> his favorite fruit is on the verge of extinction. Yes. That is the topic of the morning, bananas. Uh, are they going extinct? So do stay tuned. Go and grab yourself um, a cup of coffee. And, uh, and uh, you know, uh, Brother Khalid, you're ready to hit the coffee machine, yes, man. That, that, I, like, yes. you're, you're <laughs> I, I'm upset. The bananas are going extinct. The bananas are going extinct. <laughs> so, you're, so you're going upset. So do stay tuned. Um, we'll be right back, right back after some brief messages. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Are women inferior to men in Islam? A companion of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, once asked him, Who is best entitled to kind treatment and good companionship from me? The Prophet answered, Your mother. The companion then asked, And after her? The Prophet answered, Your mother. The companion then asked the same question a third time to which the Prophet gave the same answer. When the companion asked the same question once more, the Prophet then said, Your father and then other close relatives. Bukhari This saying alone refutes the misconception that women are inferior to men in Islam. And in particular, it demonstrates how much importance Islam gives to the respect for one's mother. According to Islam, all believers are equal, and only righteous deeds elevate one person above another. However, Islam also recognizes that such equality does not mean that men and women are the same in terms of their capabilities and roles. It notes their different physical and emotional strengths and in view of this, sets out their key roles in life. The roles are therefore not a reflection of superiority or inferiority, but a matter of natural capacity and proper functioning. For example, men have been assigned the duty to work and provide their family whereas women have been assigned the role of motherhood and of looking after the household. Islam places equal importance on both and also stresses that the roles are neither exclusive nor inflexible, i.e. Islam does not prohibit women from working or serving society, nor does it discharge men from their share of responsibility for their children and household. In Islam, a woman is entitled to individual ownership of property. If she is married and chooses to work, then the money she earns is hers, and the husband has no right over it, whereas a husband must provide financially for the whole family. Any property that a wife acquires by her own effort, or might inherit or receive as a legacy or a gift, belongs to her independently of her husband. Islam also granted women the right of inheritance, and accordingly, 
they receive their due share as prescribed by Sharia, Islamic law. This economic independence of women was established by Islam well before any similar rights were given to women in the modern world. In the United Kingdom, for example, it is well known that a married woman could not hold any property of her own as late as 1882, when the first Married Woman's Property Act was passed by Parliament. The Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, exalted the intellectual and spiritual status of women. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, knew the essential part that women had to play in the development of society. So he laid great stress on the upbringing of girls by saying, A man who has two daughters, and brings them up, and educates them to the best of his capacity, and gets them married, shall be entitled to paradise. Upon hearing this, a person asked, O Prophet of Allah, what if he has only one daughter? He replied, and even one. Al-Mu'ajim al-Usat Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. God is the light of the heavens and the earth. Every light that is visible on the heights or in the valleys, whether in souls or in bodies, whether personal or impersonal, whether apparent or hidden, whether in the mind or outside it, is a bounty of His grace. This is an indication that the general grace of the Lord of the Worlds envelops everything and nothing is deprived of that grace. He is the source of all grace, the ultimate cause of all lights and the fountainhead of all mercies. His being is the support of the universe and is the refuge of all high and low. He it is who brought everything out of the darkness of nothingness and bestowed upon everything the mantle of being. No other being than him is in himself present and eternal or is not the recipient of his grace. Earth and heaven, man and animals, stones and trees, souls and bodies have all come into existence by his grace. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day.
Welcome back to Thursday Morning Breakfast Show with myself and Brother Khalid. Uh, on to our first segment of the morning, bananas. Yes. Are they going extinct? Brother Khalid, what's the gist of the story here? Why? What are we discussing? So, uh, the frightening news uh, is that the world may soon be facing an extinction of the banana variety popular today as growers are preparing to fight a fast-spreading disease threatening the fruits growth in Peru and Colombia. Now, why are these bananas going extinct? Well, last spring, the Peruvian uh, government announced that they had detected a plant disease in the Pura region, which caused a few banana trees to dry up at a small plantation. They found that the trees were infected by a fungus, uh, tropical race 4, TR4, also known as the Panama disease. Now, these trees were immediately uprooted and Peru declared a state of emergency, a state of emergency as it is a country heavily reliant uh, on organic bananas for its economic survival. So this fungus uh, is soil-borne and it attacks uh, banana trees from the roots and is uh, essentially uh, begins to choke the tree by cutting off water and food supplies to it. The possible extinction of the fruit is not due to the fruit itself being dangerous for human consumption. Uh, it's rather due to its lack of availability due to higher demand and lower supply causing the price of bananas to increase drastically. You know, a uh, sort of question uh, arises for me, uh, Brother Kareem, when we talk about um, bananas and food and fruit in general. You know, there's, for me, one of my pet hates, one of the things that I are really know about um, so-called developed societies is wastage. Yep. Right? And you have different, uh, you see different stores that have bananas that just look perfect. And then you have other, uh, and they obviously what they do, they, they, they pick and choose which ones look the most beautiful, which are the most eye-catching. And the ones that might have a little dent here, they're, they're dis disregarded and even discarded. Hmm. So, I mean, can we afford in this day and age to be throwing away so much food? Um, valid point. Well. Let's go and discuss uh, uh, this topic um, uh, with our first guest of the morning. We've got with us Professor James Dale, who leads the, the large banana biotechnology program at Queensland University of Technology to enhance bananas through genetic modification and more recently gene editing. We have had four GM projects through, um, they've had uh, four GM projects uh, through initial field trial selection including golden bananas in both Australia and Uganda and, and Fusarium wilt TR4 resistant bananas in Australia. They have uh, recently submitted applications to OGTR and FSANZ for commercial release of QCAV4. Now, you might be wondering, what are all these letters? I'm yeah. sure uh, Professor James will clarify for <laughs> us. Uh, good morning. Welcome, uh, Professor, and thank you for taking time out for the breakfast show this morning. Uh, good morning. Um, Professor, all these letters I've, I've just told our listeners about. Um, briefly, what are TR4s and OGTR and, and QVAC4s? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, well, TR4 actually stands for Tropical Race 4. So it's a type of, um, um, the disease that we work on is called Panama disease okay. uh, or sometimes Fusarium wilt, but it comes in different strains. So there's Race 1, there's Subtropical Race 4, but the most important one is this Tropical Race 4, which is uh, reduced to TR4. Ah. Um, then, 
then when we go to OGTR, OGTR is actually the Office of the Gene Technology Regulator in Australia. So in all countries that that um, uh, allow the, the cultivation and sale and consumption of GM foods, um, all have a regulatory system, and nearly always that is that is a government organisation. So in Australia, that organisation is called the Office of the Gene Technology Regulator, or OGTR, and they regulate all of the um, processes involved in developing genetically modified crops and also in licensing them for commercial production. Awesome. So, Professor Dale, what factors are contributing to the potential extinction of these bananas? Uh, well, um, can I start by saying that um, there's been a lot of hype around the extinction of bananas, and it's not going to happen. Um, that's the, a relief. The, the, I was going to say that's good news <laughs> for Brother Khalid. He, he, was, he was losing potassium while he was... <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So the, the, the reason it's happened is that, that um, around about 50% of the bananas grown in the world are Cavendish. And uh, you're in the UK, almost certainly the vast majority of bananas you do, you'll see in your supermarket are Cavendish bananas. Um, they absolutely dominate the world export market. I mean, you know, there's tiny percentages of other bananas, but probably more than 99% of bananas that are exported. Cavendish. So the challenge there is that they've, uh, and this has really been developing probably over the last 30 odd years, there's a disease that has arisen, and we're just talking about it a moment ago, Panama disease, tropical race 4, TR4. Um, it's, a, it's a fungal disease, it lives in the soil uh, and can be moved around very easily on implements, etc., and it kills Cavendish. And it's slowly moving its way around the world. This is a pandemic, but nowhere near as rapid as uh, as things like um, COVID-19. Um, so it probably started in Southeast Asia, probably evolved in, this fungus probably evolved in Indonesia. Uh, it moved into the tropical north of Australia. It's right up through Southeast Asia into China, into Philippines. It's moved across into South um, South Asia, into India. Uh, it's made its way into Africa, um, particularly Mozambique. And more recently, first report was in 2019, it's got into the really big production areas in South and Central America. So there's this, this tremendous concern. Are we going to be able to survive this dreadful pandemic of, of TR4? Well, yes, we will be able to. <laughs> Brilliant. And how does climate change come into this conversation and how does it impact the vulnerability of banana crops to extinction? How does this disease impact them? Yes. Yeah, okay. So it, it, it lived, this fungus lives in the soil. Uh, it, there's very little opportunity for chemical control, which is probably good. We should be moving away from chemicals. Um, but once it's in the soil... You can't, uh, it, you can't get rid of it, so it's there for forever. And once a banana becomes infected, the, the fungus uh, affects, infects the bananas through the roots and then gets in and kills the banana tissue and ultimately kills the banana. It takes about, once you see those first symptoms, it's, um, it's, it's probably one to two months before the, the banana actually dies. 
So that's why people are so concerned about it, um, that that it's being moved around the world. It's not moving itself around the world, by the way. Humans are wonderful at m- moving diseases around, um, and, and almost certainly they've moved this TR4 from Southeast Asia and now across into South and Central America. And and does um, climate change have an effect on any of this? On the uh, extinction, it hasn't. It hasn't. It hasn't been recorded. Right. Um, however, <laughs> yeah. There's, there's always there's always the funny side of any any yes. disaster, isn't there? And I was at a, a, a conference not long ago in Canada, right. and we were to, and I was talking about bananas, and I said, well, this is a, a bananas are of no great importance in Canadian agriculture, right. and one of the wags on on the panel said, well, with climate change, we might start to grow bananas. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And um, what would you say um, are the main diseases and pests threatening the survival of these banana plants? Okay, so the, 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 probably the most serious at the moment mm. and causing the, the most concern is this Panama, Panama disease, tropical race 4, TR4. But there are a couple of other diseases, one of which is really important, and that's a, a disease called black cicatoga. Um, it's also caused by a fungus. But this one moves around in the air rather than in the soil. And it can be controlled by, by chemicals, by fungicides. But um, you have to spray nearly once a week. And that's just not good either for the environment or consumption. So... It, it's um, it's, a, it's a disease which can be controlled um, and uh, is controlled, but it's a very serious disease. There are a couple of other smaller ones. There's a virus disease called banana bunchy top virus, uh, which causes problems, and there are a couple of bacterial diseases as well. Um, and one, one of the reasons why bananas are, seem to be particularly susceptible is that Cavendish bananas are identical, so there's no genetic or very little genetic variation between um, any of the Cavendish bananas. So it's like growing just one type of wheat or just one growing just one type of apple. So we're, we're all incredibly dependent on this Cavendish banana in the markets. Brilliant. Uh, Professor James Dale, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, for us to be hearing, uh, for you to be sharing your expertise with us. Thank you for taking the time out. Uh, we know we, you're calling from uh, Australia, so we wish you a great day and uh, wish you a peaceful day as well. Peace be upon you and thank you again. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye for now. So that was Professor James Dale, who leads the large banana biotechnology program at Queensland University of Technology. Well, let's go straight on to our next guest of the morning. We've got with us um, uh, Jack Plummer, who is uh, <clears throat> RBGQ's um, a plant assessment coordinator. Uh, in his role, he facilitates a submission of extinction um, risk assessments by Q scientists and uh, collaborators to the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, or IUCN, um, a red list of uh, threatened species. This involves day-to-day coordination of red list assessment projects, increasing assessment capacity through conducting training workshops, communicating um, species extinction risk to a broad audience, and liaising with IUCN and other stakeholders engaged in conversation in, in conservation assessment activity around the world. He in in recent years he has written many extinction um, risk assessments. Um, 
for selected plant groups, especially crop wild relatives and medical plants, including a global assessment of, uh, what's that word? Musake. Uh, Musaceae. Musaceae. Thank you so much. Uh, Meaning bananas. (laughs) Good morning. Welcome. Uh, Thank you for taking time out uh, for the breakfast show this morning, Um, uh, Jack. uh, And uh, if I may start with uh, what is your work at RBGQ and what's RBG, if, if uh, just for the benefit of the listener, uh, what work is is get, getting done to protect plant species like bananas? Yes, no problem. Well, good good morning. Um, morning. And uh, so RBGQ that stands for the Royal Botanic Gardens. Q. Oh, of course it and is. Of course yes. it is. Silly me. <laughs> it's too early in the morning for me. <laughs> you haven't had enough potassium. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, at Q, there are a few different ways that we're looking to protect plant species. Firstly, we are conserving plants um, in, at Q in our living collections. And we also have a herbarium, which is full of dried plant specimens, which are kind of underpin the science that we undertake. So we use these specimens to inform our, our scientific research. And in my role, I'm in the conservation assessment and analysis team. And as you, you stated in the introduction, I'm the plant assessment coordinator at Kew. And what I do in my role is coordinate and facilitate the submission of IUCN uh, red list or um, extinction risk assessments uh, and get these published on the IUCN red list. Um, and I, again, as you said, uh, in the last couple of years, I've also been working on a global assessment of the wild banana species. Jack, a question comes to mind when when I well, you know when 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 I read things like red list. Yeah, is it that dangerous? Are we getting to that point really that we're having such uh, extensive research and and works and teams and organisations being set up? Oh yes, absolutely. So I, I think um, we are in the middle of an extinction crisis, no doubt about wow, it. Wow! Wow! Um, we there, there's evidence to suggest that this is one of the that we are at one of the fastest rates in in the whole of uh, kind of natural history in terms of the the, the rate of extinction. So yes, certainly we, we are. Um, it, it is a, an urgent uh, call to action, um, and when we are thinking about uh, about red listing red list in itself doesn't necessarily mean it's not necessarily a bad thing so what the red list is trying to do is create an objective evaluation of extinction risk of species so including those species which are not at threat but then highlighting those which actually are at, at threat of extinction um yeah so what are the main reason of extinction and when these red lists are produced what 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 actions are taken so what the Red List is trying to do, the Red List is a, um, an openly accessible and publicly available um, website. So when we are conducting extinction risk assessments for the Red List, they become available to conservation practitioners around the world and uh, also to any governments, uh, policymakers, business owners, and it can inform their planning and, in the case of conservation practitioners, their conservation action. So uh, in terms of the work we do at Kew, there are some projects where we are looking to immediately follow up uh, the extinction risk assessments with direct conservation of those species most at risk. But in some cases, we are simply creating that baseline of information for other uh, practitioners around the world to take up the take up arms, I guess. Um, sure. Yeah. 
And um, what are the main challenges, Jack, would you say, in assessing and conserving plant species, uh, especially uh, bananas? So when we're thinking about plant species, uh, there are there are a lot of plant species. So we think, we, we don't know exactly, but we think there are probably about 350,000 plant species in the world. So just to give a, 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 get an indication of the scale of the task, all bird species have an extinction risk assessment published on the IUCN red list, but there are only 11,000 species of birds. So the, it's a different kind of scale um, to, to get this baseline for plant species and currently we've assessed we've assessed about 60,000 plant species but that only represents 17 to 18 percent of the um, of the global total of plants so that's one challenge is the scale of the task um, secondly for plants many plants grow in very inaccessible areas and there are areas of the globe which are poorly botanically surveyed so we may not have yet access to all the information we need in order to create um, informed extinction risk assessments. So that's certainly a challenge. Um, as is often the case in the conservation sector, funding can be um, an issue in that we need to employ people to undertake these assessments. We need to fund what can be quite expensive expeditions out to areas which require um, additional survey work. And uh, I would say as well that when we're coming to uh, the, the challenges in conserving plant species, we need to make sure we're protecting the right species um, when, when, we're, when we're protecting species in botanic gardens. So when we go out and collect species for, um, for to, to kind of bring them back to, to grow in living collections, if we don't know which species are the most threatened, we might be growing things in botanic gardens that may not need to be there as much as other mm. species. So that's one issue. Um, there's also difficulty in establishing protected areas. So working with... Um, Establishing protected areas involves kind of um, governance at local, national, international levels, and actually um, creating these protected areas is is challenging on the on on account of there being conflicting reasons for uh, conflicting um, land use requirements. So we can't just kind of kind of um, implement protected areas everywhere because some areas may be needed for agriculture, for example. Right. And then finally, and this is probably the key challenge, as we touched on earlier, um, there is a high prevalence of threat, anthropogenic-driven threat around the world. So the biggest threat to plant species and to species as a whole currently, terrestrial species, is agriculture. Um, so across the world, and, and this is a, a tricky balance to strike because we need to feed a growing human population. But at the same time, we need to do that in a way which is sustainable and doesn't jeopardize the survival of our wild species. Uh, and it's not just agriculture. Some of the other uh, kind of key threats that we see are um, use of biological resources. So that, that involves things like um, logging um, and, and deforestation for, for timber. Uh, and then a threat which is coming more to the fore now. It's not currently in most cases for most species right now it might not be the most um, kind of pressing threat but climate change is on the is on the horizon and it's starting to happen and for some species in particularly delicate and fragile ecosystems climate change is becoming more of a threat as well uh, Jack Plummer it's been a pleasure talking to you this morning thank you for taking uh, your valuable time and sharing your expertise and your knowledge with us um, so I wish you a great day 
and uh, a peaceful week. That's great. Thank you very much for having me and uh, have a good morning. Thank you very much. So that was uh, Jack Plummer, who is the Royal Botanical Garden Kew's uh, Plant Assessment Coordinator. Awesome. Um, <clears throat> should have known what RBG is. I worked in Kew for so many years. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, because you know, you normally think Royal Horticultural Society. Right. Okay. B- makes sense. Yeah. Yes, it, yes. It's just... Um, it's I don't know why, but then that's because of the Chelsea Flower Show. I have been oh that's because right. now I'm working because now the office is in Chelsea, it's Fulham. So <laughs> yes. you got keep on going past RHS, RHS. Yes. yes. Whereas before I was in queue and right. I was like oh, BG, I'm thinking oh, I should have known that. <laughs> we are coming up to the hour. Um, we are going to continue this topic when uh, um, after the news, and we will be speaking to further guests if you um, and who will shed some insight in, into this topic of the extinction. Of bananas, if you want to share your views or if you want to add to the conversation, it's 0208 687 7878, or you can join us via our social media platforms at Voice of Islam UK. Um, until then, grab yourself a cup of coffee, a toast, an egg, or whatever is your preference. Um, uh, do stay tuned, and we'll be right back after the new. Welcome back to Thursday morning breakfast show with myself, Kayum, and Brother Khalid, um, just before the news, we were talking about the extinction of bananas and Brother Khalid uh, asked our last guest, uh, Jack, uh, and uh, our earlier guest, Professor, about uh, the climate change, the effect of climate change and uh, connected to the extinction of various crops and fruits and and what have you. Mm. And uh, there, after the news, we heard a clip from um, His Holiness, the fifth caliph of the Promised Messiah. Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, may Allah strengthen his hand, um, explaining, um, you know, the role um, that climate change is playing, and, and most importantly, the role man is playing in in the, the the deterioration of the climate, which in effect is having a, a knock-on effect on cli- on on uh, crops and harvests and fruits um, of uh, of all um, um, of all forms. Um, in in uh, different places around the world, definitely. And the thing is, um, ultimately, what's what's beautiful about having a global leader that's that's leading and guiding us uh, with so much love, so much kindness, so much affection is that there's challenges that happen in the world, and then he's always giving solutions. Hmm. You know, and, and and you see what the solutions are. Things that are manageable. These, these are not, never solutions that are beyond our means. So that when you see, like His Holiness uh, alluded to there, he said, just use the car a little bit less, walk a little bit more. These are things that we can do easily. Brother Khaled, don't you, don't you find that mm. we talk, whenever we talk of the environment, we yes. talk of crops, harvests, we talk of such topics, right. we talk of um, natural resources. Yes. The word mm. natural resources. Um, God has provided enough provisions for his creation definitely to survive on this earth yes so I know rightfully so scientifically we mm. can cons- we are worried about the extinction of fruits veg crops yes. animals mm. um, you know um, and and the uh, the change in in the the cycle of of uh, um, of of uh, of climate and environment. Yes. But isn't it man who is the problem? Isn't it the way we treat? It goes back to what you said earlier about wasting of food. 
That's right. Isn't it the behavior of man that needs to change and all of these extinction processes will will reduce or cease to cease mm. to happen? Definitely. But let's go talk to our um, our final guest uh, of the, of the morning on this topic. We've got with us Professor Christine Foyer. Um, professor Foyer is a professor of plant sciences at the School of Biosciences at the University of Birmingham. Uh, professor does a research in botany, biotechnology, and cell biology, um, and she works on redox processes, regulation, anti antidox, anti antioxidants, yes. and stress tolerance in cereals and legumes. And good morning, welcome. Uh, thank you for taking time out for us, Professor Foyer, on the breakfast show. Um, good morning. Um, I hope uh, you're having a good uh, beginning of the day. <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, Professor, as a researcher in botany and biotechnology, what are the most promising approaches to technologies that could help prevent bananas from going extinct? And if I don't know if you were listening to me and Brother Khalid gibbering on about uh, this topic, but what's the role of us people, humans, uh, that, that needs to be changing as well? Um, in, in addition to all the, the, the research that you do? Um, well, of course, um, when we grow crops like banana, we like to grow them in monocultures. So you have fields and fields of perennial bananas. And uh, the disease that you're talking about, Fusarium wilt, is carried in the soil. And uh, for, for that disease, having fields and fields of perennial bananas is a feast. Um, so the way we grow plants, particularly in monocultures, isn't very helpful uh, in terms of extinction because diseases are always there. Fusarium is a soil-borne disease. So in the past, um, poor management, not recognizing that anything moving soil around would transfer the, the disease from one field to another, um, has been really problematic. So we, the way we grow plants, uh, at the present is is not very compatible with preventing extinction. However, um, there are many gene therapies now and gene editing processes that would allow us to continue to, to have the varieties that we like. And in fact, um, in Australia, um, there has been a modified Cavendish banana, which is been sent for approval to regulators and so this has been engineered to have a better tolerance and to withstand this fungus so there are lots of things that we can do but but it's it's a mixture of altering the way we manage our fields um, and and also perhaps accepting new technology if we want to keep the uh, the cultivars that we have and are there any specific banana varieties that are more susceptible to extinction? And if so, what makes them more vulnerable? Yes. I mean, if, unfortunately, the bananas that we really like eating uh, are the ones which now have a high level of susceptibility. So uh, the, there was an original problem in the last um, century with the variety we, that we really love called Gross Michelle it became totally wiped out by this fungus fusarium and then we switched to another type which is called cavendish um, and for a long time that was relatively resistant but like everything the fungus evolves and new um, types and lines of the fungus 
appear all the time. And it and what's happened now, there is a new variety um, which is called Panama disease race sore, if, um, uh, which is attacking the the varieties of Cavendish variety that that we really like now. So. Um, it, we have to really make a choice here. We have to try and defend the Cavendish variety and accept gene editing, or perhaps we could go back to wild bananas and uh, perhaps the tropi more tropical uh, cooked banana types and try and use the diversity in genes there. But uh, what will happen if we don't do anything, the varieties that we eat now, the Cavendish ones, will inevitably um, fall foul of this fungus, which will defeat them. So um, there are ways to, to to get around it. But for the moment, if we, that we can't do nothing because that will be death for the varieties that we like. But we might learn to grow and, and like other varieties. You never know. Definitely. Would you say there is any risk associated with us actually genetically modifying uh, the processes and procedures that we use to grow these uh, bananas and other plants? Right. Um, well, it, gene editing now is widely accepted. You know, gene therapy in humans is mm. a very potent tool to prevent disease. And um, similarly, plant science has really moved on in the last 50 years from the inception of GM, which is now a very old-fashioned technology, to the very precise gene editing that we have now, which brings no risk in the carrier of foreign material into the modified plants. So we, we're much better able to improve plants without risk to, to um, other organisms or the spread of um, material that we don't want to. So science has really moved on. So I would say it's much safer now. And most countries throughout the world are, are really looking at gene editing as a way forward, even though it's not yet accepted by all governments. It, it's moving in that direction. And Professor Foyou, um, just before we let you go, the last question I wanted to ask you today is, um, are there any success stories or examples from other plant species or conservation efforts that could be applied to help save bananas from extinction? Um, I think it would be really difficult to, to save the current varieties of bananas mm. by by the ways that uh, we traditionally use to conserve species. And that's because the way we like to grow them, mm. you know, as they say, uh, when you have field after field of perennial bra uh, bananas that are all the same cultivar, this is the problem. They're all exactly the same. You know, we clonally propagate bananas because those are the ones we like. So each banana is the same. It's like having every person being the same and so every, every individual becomes equally susceptible so i really doubt that there's very much that we can do to preserve the current varieties of bananas unless we go down the gene editing route the the other technologies that we use to to prevent extinction are to save not to allow them to flourish quite so much, if you know what I mean. Brilliant. 
Professor Christine Foyer, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you this morning. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your expertise and your knowledge with us. And we are very grateful for you coming on early this morning. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you and goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye. Have a great day. Peace be on you. Um, You know, in one one of the misconceptions Mm. and the myths that people have um, about Islam is that religion, in fact, not just Islam, most religions, or belief in God, is that science and, and, and religion are two separate entities. Whereas the beauty, the true beauty, the true essence of Islam is that science and religion are intertwined. And the proof of that is in chapter 80, verse 25 to 33, where in the Holy Quran, it states, Now let man look at his food, how we pour down water in abundance. Then we cleave the earth, a proper cleaving. Then we cause to grow therein grain and grapes and vegetables, and the olive and the date palm, and walled gardens thickly planted, and fruits and herbage, provisions for you and your cattle. Now, aside from the literal, uh, you know, uh, denotation, the word look, as it's been used in in the verse and other verses in uh, chapter 86, verse 6, chapter 88, verses from 18 to 21, it also implies that it's imperative for mankind to take a scientific Look and conduct research into mm. food production to maximize productivity. Right. The above the the, the verses that I've, that I've mentioned, mm. they, they beautifully highlight um, that uh, research um, needs to be done and it needs to be coming from broad uh, ranges and to cover plant and soil sciences to rainfall conditions and water management, such as irrigation systems, which we have talked about so many times on this on this show, and and different uh, production practices. We've talked of uh, crop cultivation systems, and all of these are encouraged within w- within Islam. And 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 when I was talking to you mm. uh, earlier, that uh, you know, it, God has created it, created mankind. Yes. But then, with mankind, He's created Earth, and He's created an ecosystem in which He has provided the relevant natural resources for 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 the for for the uh, you know the progress and the growth yes. and the survival of his creation That's and right. it's it's man himself yes the actions of man yes and and this is kind of clar- this is kind of confirmed in in uh, again from a verse from the holy quran and the recita- and and the commentary that was done by the second caliph of the amdi muslim community right um mirza bashir bin mahmud the the second caliph of the promised messiah may Allah have mercy on his soul in the holy quran it's it's regarding such sufficient provisions um, where which we are talking about are provided by God in in uh, chapter forty one verse eleven it says um, God Himself says He said He placed therein firm mountains rising above His surface and blessed it with abundance and provided therein its food in proper measure in four days alike for all seekers. Now explaining this this verse the the the, the second caliph uh, he said the words provided its food in proper measures signifies that the earth is fully capable of providing full food food mm. for all of his creatures all of his yes. creatures that live on it the expression alike for all seekers may signify that the foods of which god has provided in the earth are equally accessible to all seekers who try to get them according to the laws of nature it also means that the physical needs and the requirements of man have been adequately met 
in the food that grow out of earth. So the fear that the earth may not someday be able to grow sufficient food mm. for the fast increasing population of the world. Look at the word that's used. Yes. Is groundless. Yes. Beautiful. Very beautifully put there. Excellent. It's groundless. Yes. So that brings it back to how we behave. Yes. How we are not appreciating what God has been has given to us. We're not the ones. We are not being grateful. Yes. We are wasting. Definitely. And we are not being just. His Holiness, uh, may Allah strengthen us. How many times has he said, you know, that the powerful nations are usurping the rights of the nations which, which, uh, which have less. Yes. Yet they are the ones who have these resources. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yep. So it, it is. It it comes down to it. And when, you know, every time I read that, I think, you know, when when the, the second caliph talks of of, you know, the the the, the fear that mm. the earth may not somebody be able to grow sufficient food for the fast increasing population of the world, mm. that word, it's groundless. Exactly. That, that notion. So so the thing is, which the point you very beautifully put mm. there is that all the resources, everything is there for us. But what is the issue? It's man's greed. Yes. Man's selfishness. Uh, exactly. Man's uh, ingratitude. The, 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 you know? the greed. I think greed is the perfect word. Yes. Is greed is the perfect word, and and this 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 idea of power. Yes. Instead of uh, you know treating people with with equality, uh, with equity, and with fairness and with justice, mm. it's that greed for money, for power, for uh, to 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 kind of take control mm. of of. Um, um, of catastrophe, to be honest, exactly. because it is being created by man. Yeah. Um, I don't think there are any better words to to finish the show. I'll read it again. So the fear that Earth may not someday be able to grow sufficient food for the fast increasing population of the world is groundless. Beautiful. Um, if you want to, um, you know, read up this article um, there is an article on this particular verse which appeared in Review of Religions um, under food security um, and uh, uh, in the Islamic world under um, hunger and poverty uh, Review of Religions is uh, one of the oldest publications um, in the world um, and I would encourage people to just go onto Google and type in Review of Religions and it will take you to its website which is www.reviewofreligions.org we're going to take a very quick break when we come back, we're going to be talking about what, Brother Khalid? Is it something about the wish list of... Uh, yes, wish cycling. Wish cycling, that's yes. it. That's it. It's not wish lists, it's wish cycling. What is it and how do we overcome it? Um, interesting topic. We will be talking to a guest who will, as always, shed some interesting um, light and educate us um, and inform us and make us aware of what wish cycling is. Um, but we're going to take some. Uh, we're going to take a very short break. Listen to some brief messages, and we will join you um, straight after. So grab yourself a cup of coffee. Um, I, you know, I always say, go and grab yourself a cup of coffee. Yeah. Go and grab yourself a glass of water. That's more it. important. Yes. Yeah, water. I, I always talk about coffee, but with coffee, always have a glass of water. Must. Uh, yeah. Water is is very very Definitely. very important. So, see you after your glass of uh, how, how much do you drink water yes i try to do uh i aim for one and a half liters to two liters every day man you're good i try you're yeah. good well i hope everyone's being as good as bill khalid because <laughs> i ain't <laughs> see you after the break
You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Writings of the Promised Messiah, alayhi salam. Allah, the Lord of glory, has also given me the glad tidings that some of the nobility and some of the kings will also join our group. He vouchsafed to me the revelation. <laughs> I shall grant you blessing upon blessing, so much so that kings will seek blessings from your garments. Those who seek blessings in this manner will enter into the bath, the Pledge of Allegiance. Because of their entering into the bath, their governments will also practically belong to this community. Then I was shown those kings in a vision. They were riding upon horses and were not less than six or seven. I saw in a blessed dream a group of sincere believers and just and righteous kings, some of whom belong to this country, India, some to Arabia, some to Iran, some to Syria, some to Turkey, and some to other regions of which I am not aware. Thereafter, I was told by Allah the Almighty, <laughs> These people will affirm your righteousness and will believe in you and will call down blessings upon you and will pray for you. I shall bestow great blessings upon you so much so that kings will seek blessings from your garments and I will join them amongst your sincere followers. This is the dream that I saw, and this is the revelation that was vouchsafed to me by God the All-Knowing. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. What is Ahmadiyyat 101? Ahmadiyyat 101 is a brand new series explaining the beliefs of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in a simple, easy to understand format. These videos are for everyone, whether you are a fellow Ahmadi or just here to fulfill your curiosity. This is your platform to learn and find out more. This series is exclusive to MTA Online One, the official YouTube channel of MTA International. So subscribe and turn on your notifications so you don't miss a single video. Post your questions in the comment section and we will answer them in future videos. This is Ahmadiyyat 101, making Islam Ahmadiyyat simple. Allah, 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 Allah,
Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Thursday Morning Breakfast Show with myself and Brother Khalid. Brother Khalid, uh, oh, I see you've had your water. Yes. Nice, nice, <laughs> nice man. Man practices what he preaches. And a little cup of tea as well. Uh, oh. And tea. Water and tea. You should water and coffee. Yep. Water. Coffee works for me. Yes. Uh, on to our second segment of yes. the morning. The UK government is planning to implement a new policy in which households are asked to be more selective in what they recycle. Um, this is what uh, I presume wish cycling is, or this is the topic that we're going to be discussing. Um, so, what is this? What, what What's the outline of this new government policy on recycling, Brother Khalid? So the government is now acting upon the Environment Act of 2021 and will be implementing other legislation within this act. So this leads uh, to the following actions to be taken. There will be a, a ban on any liquidizing digesters. There should be a separation of food waste, uh, changes to the recycling uh, legislation, and changes to the waste management legislation. So you asked the question, what is wish cycling? So for the benefit of our listeners, wish cycling refers to the practice of placing items in the recycling bin that individuals hope or wish are recyclable, even though these items are not accepted in their local recycling uh, programs. Now, it occurs when people with good intentions attempt to recycle materials that they believe should be recyclable but are not part of the accepted recyclables in their area. Now, you said even though if the local recycling centre doesn't accept them. Yes. Isn't this a bit too much of if, maybe, but? I mean, to to create a policy based on a wish of the residents. Yes. So I presume there will be a consultation process here. Because every household will have a different wish of what they choose to recycle in accordance with their household needs. No? Definitely, definitely. And I think what's more importantly, uh, according to what we've just read here, the person, your understanding, my understanding of recycling might be slightly different, you know? Exactly. Yeah. You know, it, it's... I, I, you know, it's the. You said what the government is is looking to, um, you know, reduce the use of insert, you know, um, macerators and 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 liquidizing digesters and, uh, you know, they 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 want to, um, they want to change the legislation, of of recycling and waste management. This is one of the reasons you listed, um, but when when you talked about you know, what the government policy is, but. Yeah. I don't know. It it just seems a bit strange that we're going to be creating a policy based on people's people's wishes. Um, because if one was to look at the nature of man itself, human nature, of course everybody wants to protect the environment. Definitely. Of course everybody wants to recycle. Of course everybody wants to do their bit to... Um, Yes, no, to partake, but I think I think, brother, what I think the the issue is that 
rather than just putting in the legislation, I think that the best thing is to, you know, it's all about education. If people are unaware of what's recyclable, and this is the thing, this goes back to the top down. There should be, in my opinion, uh, and like I said, this, this is just my opinion, that the packaging should be made clearer as to what is and what isn't recyclable, you know? Most Do you remember back in, I will say back in the days, <laughs> but it was not too, too long ago, Brother Kuyum, when we used to go to different uh, stalls in the high street, in the markets, and you buy the fruit and veg that was, uh, you know, it was loose. We didn't have all this packaging. And, and it's, 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 I think, like you said earlier, alluding to the topic we were discussing about uh, 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 bananas and the extinction of bananas and how man's impact on the environment has a cause and effect on uh, on, on these um, ex you know, possible extinction of these fruits and vegetables, right? Similarly, uh, you know, talking about uh, recycling and things, you know, we ultimately uh, need to be educated. People need to be educated as to what's um, good and what's not good. But it also, you know, there's a problem with plastics. We know there's a problem with plastic. We've seen so many things on the internet. You see in news reports of different countries, small nations around the world, and even in the UK, uh, where there's, there's there's rivers, seas are polluted with so much plastic waste. So what I think is, is, is a good step forward is possibly recycling these plastics you know like you have some stores where you get a little um you know money back when you recycle bottles of plastic and things well let's go and talk to uh, an expert in the field let's go and talk to head of communications for uh TerraCycle europe and um, we've got with us uh, stephen clark um thank you for taking time with us stephen and uh, uh, and making time for the breakfast show um just to for the benefit of the listener, Stephen uh, is the head of communications um, at uh, TerraCycle, which is a global leader in the collection and repurposing of otherwise non-recyclable post-consumer and post-industrial waste. Um, hopefully, Steve will be able to 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 tell us um, what uh, we can and can't recycle uh, via our curbside council recycling collections from home. Um, Thank you, Stephen, for taking time out for us um, at the breakfast show. A pleasure. And shall I, shall I, shall I give you a quick heads up on what you can and what you can't recycle at home, and why your council will recycle some materials and not others? Please do. It's all yeah. yours. Okay, a bit. It, it, it's probably worth saying to begin with that pretty much anything can technically be recycled. What what really happens though is materials that have value will be recycled and those that cost more to collect separate and then recycle then the value of that recycled material won't be recycled so your council will take stuff with with, um, with value <laughs> pretty much anyone in the uk should be able to come home recycle paper cardboard um you should be able to recycle things like aluminium cans plastic bottles certain rigid food trays um and, and that'll pretty much be what you'll be able to recycle at home your council won't take stuff that costs, costs more money to collect and recycle them than what you can sell the recycled material for. So TerraCycle are experts in setting up programs to recycle things that, that no one else really sees value in. So anything that's a mixed material, so think of something like a pen or a toothbrush or a toothpaste tube 
for a, um, a makeup container, um, think of things like uh, medicine blister packs, think of things like uh, flexible um, food packaging materials. None of those are collected by councils, not because they can't be, but because there's no, there's no value in them. So the way we do that is we partner with brands to set up um, free recycling programs. So consumers, with, with regards to what you can recycle at home, one thing I would suggest that everybody does is, um, is have a look at what your council website tells you that they accept. And then also there's a really useful website called recyclenow.com. If you go to that website and you put in your postcode uh, and what you want to recycle, it will tell you whether you can recycle it from home or it will also tell you whether there's other places in your community like your household waste recycling centre you could take it to. And sometimes there might also be places like supermarkets or um, let's say sometimes there might be um, beauty retailers that will accept certain types of, um, of materials that you could take it directly to those locations. So the key thing I would always say is check with your council and then I would also say have a look on RecycleNow.com. Now, if there's materials you can't recycle, so I've mentioned a few there that we, we, um, we have programs for. So we offer around 40 free recycling programs in the UK. Everything from um, pens to oral care waste to beauty packaging to uh, home, home cleaning product packaging. Um, you literally go to TerraCycle, so T-E-R-R-A, and then C-Y-C-L-E dot com. Um, have a look at all the waste streams you've got. There's a search facility on there. You could put, if you wanted to recycle, recycle makeup, put makeup, and it will show you the makeup-related programs. If you wanted to recycle oral care waste, and it will show you all the oral care waste programs. And then there's generally two ways you can take part. We have a network of collection points um, across the UK that are run by members of the community. And the reason that they, they set these collection points up is it earns money for schools, charities, or non-profits. So you... Um, Find the waste stream you want, put your postcode in, it'll tell you where your nearest collection point is. If there isn't one particularly close to you, you could set your own up um, for your community that you're in charge of, and then you you choose where the money is donated to. So, like I mentioned, we've got around 43 programs, but there's many waste streams where, unfortunately, we don't have a sponsor. Um, so, for areas like that, we offer what we call zero waste bags, and we've mm-hmm. quite recently launched these. And so um, there's 14 different waste streams that are the most frequently, um, you know, kind of wish-cycled items. And wish-cycling is something um, which, which is, kind of, I think, one of the main reasons you asked me to come on today, is where people recycle something that they really wish they could recycle. They probably know the council doesn't accept it, but they can't bear to throw it in the landfill bin. So what they do is think, I'll pop it in my recycling bin outside my house, and it magically i'm sure it'll get recycled but unfortunately it doesn't what happens any material the council doesn't want and doesn't see value in would be separated out and it would end up going to landfill incineration anyway and the bad thing about recycling is if you're putting something in the wrong bin it contaminates the good material so what will often happen is if you put too much bad stuff into your bin that they don't want it might mean the good stuff that you have put in there that should be recycled might not be because they can't sometimes separate out the good from the bad um, Stephen, uh, thank you for, for such a comprehensive um, answer. Um, you've answered so many more questions in there already. Um, the, when Brother Khalid and we were discussing this earlier, the term itself, wish cycling, and, and to me when I read that this is what the government wants to do and, and not do, and, and then you kind of saying that local authorities will not take certain um, items because of a costing perspective, it doesn't make money. Isn't isn't this a dangerous notion? I mean, 
we're, we're, we're looking to people to decide themselves what they wish to recycle. And, I mean, everybody isn't uh, fully aware of the benefits of the environment and the climate change. No matter what we talk about, people don't know about recycling everything. So they would want to recycle everything. And yet the government and the local authority are choosing to pick and choose what they recycle based on cost, not service. So well, that's, that, that, that's the thing, though. I mean, at the end of the day, to recycle something, somebody has to, you know, if it makes money, that's why they're doing it. If it doesn't make money, who covers the cost? So that, you know, that, that's a question for the government. The reason there was all this press coverage a while ago about recycling is because the, the government wants people to be more aware of what they do want and what they don't want you to recycle. So the, the council will send out leaflets. The council will, and bear in mind, I'm, I'm nothing to do with any council. I'm nothing to do with the government. We're, we're, we're a private recycling company. No, but this is my point, that you yeah. are able to provide a service and, and, and you have some, um, you offer free recycling programs. Um, for waste types, the, the way the way we the way the way we can offer the free programs though is we have sponsors. So, for example, you know we um, let, let, me, let me give you a few examples. Please, Hasbro Hasbro sponsors our toy recycling program. Uh, Bic sponsors our pen recycling program. We have um, we have program with Phillips for oral care waste. We have programs with the likes of Pringles for their cans. We work with KP Snacks for crisp packets. Um, we work with Cathedral City for cheese packaging. You know, without the, these companies sponsoring those programs, we wouldn't be able to offer them because it, it makes a loss, and it would, you know, we 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 would go out of business. So, in terms of in terms of should should um, there be more recycling at a municipal level? Oh yes, most certainly. But it's how does that get funded? So, you know, it, it's it's a question for for government. If we want to recycle everything, the money has to come from somewhere. Of course. Otherwise, the, the, the books don't get balanced so you know it, it, it it's a great question but where where the funding to recycle everything comes from you know there's things on the horizon like extended producer responsibility uh, you know deposit schemes um that, that have been kind of pushed back a little bit but they they will all help in the long term to recycle more but you know we would love to be able to recycle everything in the world as a business hmm. but the only way you can do that is if you make the economics work so that's what we do with the um with the free recycling programs and like i say for anything else we've got this great new service called zero waste bags but the website is zero waste uk, and you can pick one of 14 different bags to recycle a whole host of things from makeup to all types of plastic packaging so it's nice and easy for you to medicine blister packs to fabrics and clothing to um beauty products and then you you literally collect from home in, in this bag that you've paid for once it's it's full. You, um, you you zip it back up, and then you take it to your nearest impost locker, of which there are five thousand across the UK. It comes back to us, and we we will recycle it. But you, as a as a as a private individual, are you know deciding you want to recycle something that you, you couldn't all, already recycle locally, and you're going to pay to do it. So it's a paid for service, but it means more things that people want to recycle that unfortunately we can't offer a free program for. You have the option now. Awesome. Now, you've explained what recycling is, and you've also talked about the harms that it can do. How do we stop it? The harms of recycling, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, 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 it's, being, um, it, it's being informed. So, like I say, go onto your council's website, 
many councils will um, will provide a leaflet on a yearly basis, or if they if they then can accept more things for recycle, they'll send you one to let you know. Um, have a look on their website, and then go to, go to recyclenow.com, and on there, literally, if you put your postcode, it will tell you exactly what you can recycle from home, what you can't, and it will also tell you if there's any other places in your community, like I mentioned, like stores or your household waste recycling site that you can drop things off to. Now, if you've got to go and drop things off, it's, it's a little bit more involved in terms of people's time. Um, not everybody will want to do that. So, it, it, you know, people need to inform themselves on what your council wants. And if, and if your council doesn't accept things like, and they won't, makeup or pens or um, toothbrushes, toothpaste tubes, don't put them in your recycling because all it will do is it will cause problems. So all the good work you're doing, putting the right things in, like rigid food trays, plastic bottles, aluminium cans, you know, paper cardboard, you're, you're then endangering that stuff getting recycled because you're putting stuff in that the council definitely doesn't want and it contaminates it. But, but Stephen, people, I mean, you know, I, I agree with you. Um, people who are serious about recycling and, and waste and separating the waste will do that. But there are people, and, and you know, if I was to think of my local um, recycling area, they have this, they have these massive bins which are separated in accordance with what you wish mm-hmm. to throw. And then they have this one area called general waste. So, which everything goes in there, everything that they can't find the sign for will be thrown in there so there will always be people who will mix and match and 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 throw it in in the wrong bin well general general waste means stuff that can't be recycled and will either go to landfill or incineration so that anything you put in there definitely won't get recycled because it's not meant to be Mm -hmm. Uh, i mean I, i i live in i live in london and everywhere in the UK is slightly different, which is annoying. And that's one of the things the government is looking to bring in, which is more uniformity across the UK. So no matter where you are, you'll be able to recycle the same thing. I have I have one uh, bin for paper and cardboard. I have one bin for um, landfill waste, so yeah. anything that can't be recycled. And then I have I, I have a, a, a two boxes for plastic bottles, aluminium cans, and rigid food trays, like, like I mentioned to you. So that, that's why and most people across the UK should have a similar sort of system. You'll have different different bins or boxes for what they want, and then the one bin, which is general waste, for what can't be recycled. And the only thing that's going to happen to anything you put in there is it will either be incinerated in most cases, or in some cases it will go to landfill. Now, see, I, 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 again, you, you raise a point which, again, straight away comes to mind. I'm thinking, well, hold on. I've got the, the the blue. I've got the blue, the blue wheelie bin, and I've got the black wheelie bin. Then I've got the little uh, black uh, food bin. Then there are two containers, which are one is green and one is purple. And it's like, shouldn't these color codings be uniform across the country? Well, I think that's one thing that will probably happen over, over time. You know, the, the whole the whole reason we're talking today about recycling is because the government did a briefing a little while ago that got widely picked up in the media asking people not to wish cycle. Um, mm. And one of the things that they're going to be looking at is, is uniformity, because one of the big complaints in the UK is that different, like, you, you could re- you could have one set of recycling rules, and yet two miles down the road, in the same borough, but in a different town, yep. it's very different. You know, it, right. it confuses people. So, you know, if, if I was recycling in my in my house, and yeah, I'd go to my, um, I'd go to my sister's house, who lives two miles down the road, she might be able to recycle very different things to what I can recycle. So, you know, I'm putting something in her bin that then can't be recycled. It's the same kind of bin, but the council has different rules. So 
uniformity is something that lots of people have been asking for for a long time and I think over time it will be brought in but you know I can't tell you as to when because I'm not part of the government but you know it is something that people are asking for. Uh, just out of curiosity why isn't garden waste uh, given uh, the same importance as general waste? Um, garden waste isn't anything that we, that we get involved in to be honest we, we deal with products and packaging I mean is, is, isn't garden waste recyclable? Well, g- garden waste is compostable in most cases, but yeah. it depends. It depends what it is, you know. Um, you know, I, I have my own home composter in, in, in my garden that, that we, you know, we, we just use for for kind of offcutting of that. You obviously don't put stuff like weeds in it because we want to use that material. If you send it off to the council, it's industrially industrially composted. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the, the 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 danger is, you know, are people going to be putting, you know, other types of material in in there as well? So. Unfortunately, it's just another thing that, that that somebody needs to cover the cost for, and the, the council don't give you it for free. If you want to, if you want to compost garden materials, they will charge you for it as a rule. Mm. Finally, Stephen, TerraCycle is involved in the collection and reuse of post-industrial waste that is not otherwise recyclable. You've already mentioned that. So, how do you use the waste, and what benefits uh, has your company been able to secure in terms of the global climate crisis? And you know, I fully appreciate and I agree. Look, end of the day, you're a business. Business have to make yeah. money. That's just, you know, if, if I always find it strange when people question that. Um, I actually think, you know, we would find more long-term, permanent, good solutions if government was to kind of, you know, there's public-private partnerships. I, I always think they work. Um, but but what's... Yeah. what, what um, well, my, 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 What's been your benefit from a, from a TerraCycle perspective? Well, TerraCycle mostly deals with post-consumer waste, so it's waste that consumers have have used that would otherwise go to landfill incineration because it can't be recycled by the local system. We we do work with businesses, we do work with manufacturers to deal with stuff that comes out of their factories. But most of what we deal with is post-consumer. So, what what happens to the waste that that, that we recycle? That material is is generally um, it, it's shredded, it's washed. And then it's separated out into different plastic types, or if there's any metals in there, in, into that form. The material is, is then turned into small pellets, as a rule, if it's plastic, and then it's supplied to manufacturers making a whole host of products. But they're using our recycled material rather than creating virgin plastic. So it could go into a whole host of different products. It could go into things like um, Building applications, you know, mm-hmm. it could go into drainage systems, for instance. It could go into outdoor furniture. It could go into um, composite paving. It could go into waste bins. It could go into watering cans. So we're in. We we operate in 21 markets around the world. The UK is our biggest market in Europe, and in the in the UK, we, we launched here in 2009. So far, we have saved over 300 million pieces of waste that would otherwise gone to landfill incineration, and we've raised over two million pounds for schools, charities, and non-profits. Well. Because our free programs, you're not just doing something good for the environment by by sending it in for recycling. You earn you earn points which you can um, transfer to to monetary value, hmm. but it can only go to a school charity or a non-profit. So the people that run our collection points across the UK, they will donate it to local schools. They will donate it to you know good causes. It could be the local um, you know dogs home. It could be um, you know it could be a cancer charity. So it goes to a whole host of different places. So they're, they're just the numbers for the UK rather than, than globally. But that's the benefit that our programmes bring. And it's ultimately, it's um, the, the, the two major benefits that I'd, I'd like to stress is 
one, it uh, raises money for good causes, and two, it, it negates the need for such large volumes of new virgin plastic to be created because we're reusing material that would have otherwise been lost forever. I hope that helps. Understand, understand. Stephen, thank you so much for taking time out this morning. I wish uh, you the best uh, in all your endeavours in your business and, and, and the charitable programmes and the free programmes you do uh, in, in raising awareness. Um, um, I wish you a fantastic day ahead. May peace be with you, brother. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Let's go and listen to um, a, an audio clip of uh, of uh, um, um, a program. Yes, which is uh, carried out by uh, the Amdi Muslim. I think it's Youth Association, and That's this correct. is uh, from uh, the chapter in Australia. Yes, um, I think they were ce- they were celebrating or they were doing a clean up day. That's correct uh, in Australia. The first week of March brings Australians together to join in the annual Clean Up Australia Day. Established in 1989, the simple idea of cleaning local neighbourhoods has now become Australia's largest community-based environmental event. People from different schools, organisations and groups take charge to their local areas looking for any rubbish they can find. Men, women and children grab their bags and race to fill as many bags as possible. By the grace of Almighty Allah, Ahmadi Muslim Australians volunteered and preserved their local parks, waterways, beaches, sporting fields, bushlands and roadways. We've been involved with them every year and uh, we have been taking part with them every year. And since then we have put in about, the Jamaat in Australia has put in about 42,500 man hours. And we've cleaned about 5,000 kgs of rubbish, that's five tons of rubbish, off the Australian streets. The morning started off with refreshments and people made their way to local streets and parks to clean up. Citizen Blue, a company dedicated to cleaning Australian waterways, came to Bethel Huda Mosque, Sydney to help out with our efforts. Our mission is to make Sydney the cleanest city in the world in the next three years. Uh, So we thought it was really important to get behind some of the groups that uh, put huge efforts in for Clean Up Australia Day, like the Amati Muslim Group, um, and to get out here and support you. Give your hand sorting out everything you recover into what's recyclable and what, what's not recyclable. This event has been partaken all across the country. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Uh, we are taking part today in Clean Up Australia Day uh, here uh, at Batu Salam Lang Warren, uh, which comes under Frankston Council. Uh, we have two sites uh, in Frankston Council uh, we, where we're taking part in this great uh, initiative, in this great program, which is Clean Up Australia Day. Uh, one site is uh, the area all around Batu Salam, and there's a creek and walking track uh, where we do the cleanup. Uh, by the grace of Allah, a good number of Qudam, Ansar, and Atfal uh, are taking part. Uh, so, some of our members have gone to the other side in Frankston Council. Uh, which is Quarry Road, uh, where Fudam will uh, do the cleanup all along the road and pick up the rubbish. Uh, we have been doing this uh, since 1998, and by the grace of Allah, it has always been a success, uh, and will inshallah keep doing this in the future years as well. So, may Allah bless all our humble efforts. Jazakumullah. Queensland community members spread their efforts across four sites this year, including New Farm Park in Brisbane, the Gold Coast area, Stock Lee, and the Bethel Masrur Mosque site in Logan City. Queensland members reached the top spot in most registered volunteers, 
as well as in the top fundraising cleanup sites this year, collecting a total of 355 kilograms of rubbish in 71 bags. Managing Director Terry Ann Johnson and Ian Kiernan, Executive Chairman and Founder of Cleanup Australia Day, we're here to visit the Brisbane cleanup site. Around 15 years ago, we started to take part in Cleanup Australia Day from just one site. Alhamdulillah, today it has grown to five sites just in Adelaide alone. Our community is at the top again with 230 registered volunteers in the state of South Australia. This is just one great example of giving back to the community. Children, women, men and the elderly alike have come out with great zest to clean the streets, roads and community centres in order to help keep our country clean. After working so hard, my team and I have managed to collect 10 bags of rubbish. And there we had, uh, you know, um, one of the many programmes that are run by different auxiliary organisations. Yes. Uh, and this was uh, the Amri Muslim Youth Association who were <coughs> running um, a campaign and they were taking part in a campaign of yes. clean uh, clean up Australia Day, but in, in, if one was to look at the, the Amity Muslim Youth Association across the world, yes, UK, United States, Australia, Europe, New Year's Day, mm. they are out there picking up all the rubbish, yes, um, all the, the the beer cans, the food <laughs> disposable, the, the 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 boxes, yes, where people have just thrown um, on the streets, and they take part in cleaning up the local areas. Uh, you know, in Islam, they say fifty percent of faith is cleanly. Yes, yes. You know, definitely. So it's part and parcel um, of the beautiful way of life, which is the faith of Islam. You know, in that uh, all of these things uh, are, are already found um, in in, uh, in in the way Muslims are supposed to practice uh, their faith. Definitely. We are coming up to the hour. Uh, Brother Khalid, any uh, last words of wisdom for um, our listener? No, it's very interesting to see from the... I mean, first of all, thank you to all our guests. It's very interesting to see um, the the things that they were saying and how they were sharing their expert knowledge with us. But also, ultimately, like you said, Brother Qayyum, the one thing that I didn't take away from this show today for both topics is that ultimately we are in control of our environment. Without a shadow of a doubt. Um, we reap what we sow. Mm. Thank you to Hania Sajid and Khafi Latif and to Sofia Nusheen Ahmed, Kashfa Noor Ahmed and uh, um, Brother Habib in tech. Thank you to our guests for listening. Thank you to you, Brother Khalid. Thank you, Brother uh, For giving me the opportunity to come and present with you, Brother, after a long time. Thank you to our guests, as Brother Khalid said. Um, please forgive any shortcomings on our part. Please remember us in your prayers until we meet again. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all.